This is Mitchell Kaminsky from the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. And in case you missed it, Unhinged Network and us have recently partnered with Fubo TV. What is Fubo TV? You ask? Well, Fubo TV brings you 100 plus channels, including NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC, ESPN, and more without the hassle of cable contract. Don't believe me? Click the link in our bio and start your free seven day trial now. Hello and welcome to the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. I'm Mitchell Kaminsky. And we got a lot to talk about this week. I'm sorry, we're really hamming it up. Uh, you know, Merry Christmas to all of you. A little bit, bit of belated Christmas. Uh, it was the gift of sports this holiday season. And there was a lot of games to watch, some goal games, some great NBA games going on. Uh, actually, the NFL in full swing in a crazy week 16. Uh, and old St. Nick, he came through for me uh, this Christmas. I got hooked up with a, a new mixer, so that's why we're kind of hamming it up. So, if, you know, you get the little morning radio vibes. Uh, we apologize now that we got the uh, sound effect button here. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, Yeah, but let's get in all seriousness. Let's get right into it because there is a lot to talk about. And we're going to start with baseball here. Uh, hot stove starting to heat up. You know, it was a little lukewarm for a while. We had the Lance Lynn move for the White Sox and then the Adam Eaton signing and a couple small minor deals, but... Nothing too big yet, and then the San Diego Padres decided to go on a spending spree. They swung a couple huge trades. The first was for Blake Snell, and the second one was for you Darvish and Chicago Cubs. And obviously, you uh, Darvish being in my neck of the woods for the past couple seasons, that's the one I want to discuss first. So the Padres in that trade, they acquired you Darvish and his personal catcher, Victor Caratini. Uh, the Cubs got Zach Davies and four prospects. And to be quite honest with you, the Cubs got fleeced in this trade. Now, I know it's tough to say with the four prospects because they are young. And a lot of the couple are only like 18 years old. There was no minor league season last year. So it's very hard to evaluate talent and what they could be. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr., when the White Sox traded him, was kind of the same boat. He was like 18 years old. They, they didn't know who they were trading. And look, he turned out to be one of the most exciting players, if not the most exciting player, in the game of baseball. So I understand that could happen. And one of these guys very may well turn out to be uh, capable Major League start players, starters. You know, maybe an all-star or something. But for what it stands right now, this was not a smart move for the Cubs. Like, they didn't accomplish anything. This is the goal, I think, that they're trying to sell their assets and replenish the farm system. This move doesn't accomplish any of that. And that's what Jed Hoyer was saying during the press conference. Like, uh, you know, they're trying to re restock the farm. They didn't restock the farm this move. And the Ricketts is also talking about, oh, you know, we're not tearing down anything. Well, he must have meant the ballpark because they're clearly tearing down this roster with what they're doing. Since 2019, Yu Darvish ranks fourth among starting pitchers with a 2.40 ERA and a 5.4 WAR. That's pretty darn good. That's who the Padres got. That's who the Cubs are getting rid of. And I get it if you're rebuilding, but they traded him to the team in the Padres, who have a pretty deep farm system. The Padres were—they didn't have to give up their top prospect, Mackenzie Gore. And they held on to all of their top 10 prospects in their system. The Padres have four top, like 100 in the MLB, top 100 overall prospects. The Cubs were unable to get one for you, Darvish, who I just said ranks fourth with a 240 ERA since 2019. 
You Darvish, who was an all-star last year, or he would have all-star capable. You Darvish, who was in the Cy Young contention. They weren't able to get a single top prospect out of the Padres. Like, come on now. You gave up. This is the same Cubs team that gave up Eloy Jimenez and Dylan Cease, who were both highly touted prospects, for Jose Quintana, who we all know what he is right now. And you had you Darvish. You had a great asset to trade. And it's not the issue I have with the Cubs, and I'm not even a Cubs fan, so I, I could give uh, rat's ass about the, the Cubs and what, what they what they did this offseason. You know, I hope they lose the rest of their games. But, like, if, if I'm a Cubs fan, I'm infuriated right now because you had a great asset where you could have gotten some pieces to kickstart a rebuild. Like, that's like the White Sox did with Chris Sale. You know, you, you get Yohan Mankata, you get Michael Kopech. That jump starts the whole thing. Now, I don't think you Darvish is in the same class as Sale, but he's pretty darn close. He's one of the best pitchers in the MLB. So, like, what are the Cubs doing? This is a thinly veiled salary dump. And Wilson Contreras is next. Padres, in their hand, great move by them. Like I said, you're able to keep Mackenzie Gore and keep your loaded farm system mainly intact. And he's joining that stacked rotation. And that rotation now includes Darvish, Snell, who they acquired, Chris Paddock, uh, Donaldson, Lament, and, oh, yeah, by the way, they also have Mike Clevenger waiting in the wings. He has Tommy John surgery. He'll be back in 2022. And out of those arms, uh, four of them, uh, not including Paddock, they're under team control through 2023. So Padres in good shape right now. Let's go to the Blake Snell trade. And this is the opposite of what the Cubs did because this is a team that was smart in how they dealt their ace, who I think Hugh Darvish is better than Blake Snell. And the Rays, who were a smart organization, were able to turn, you know, turn a much better profit for a guy that has a little bit less talent than Hugh Darvish, in my opinion. And, you know, it also showcased, it, it showcased, one, how smart Tampa Bay is, but number two, this is kind of the reason they have no fans because they are boring as hell. You know, a year after going from the going to the World Series, and you forced the game six. You took a good Dodgers team, a loaded Dodgers team with a much higher payroll to the brink, and a game six you had in control until you pulled you pulled Blake Snell, who kind of became a talking point after that World Series. Uh, and so you would think, okay, that's something we can build on. And what do they do? They go and trade him the next year. Now, on the surface, it's like, what the what are the Rays doing? But like this is what they've been doing, like throughout the this is this is why they're kind of smart because they're they're obviously they're a small market team. They're a definition of a small market team. So to stay competitive, they have to make savvy moves like this. They received Luis Patino and Cole Wilcox, who are number three and number seven in the uh, the uh, Padres farm system. So that's a pretty good return you got right there. That that's that for you. You got equal or to greater value than Blake Snell. And it should be mentioned that the Rays scouting bar- department they're pretty smart. Like, they know what they're doing. They're going to remain competitive with the roster they have, and these guys will be up in the majors in a couple years. So, you know, this is not brand with what they've always done, though, and this goes back to the boring thing why they have no fans. Anytime they have an all-star caliber trader that they have a chance to flip for prospects who are going to be cheaper, they take advantage. Uh, You know, if you need some examples, Corey Dickerson, Wilson Ramos, Tommy Pham. They're having a pretty good year. The Rays think they can flip them to get better. They will. Like, when they traded Tommy Pham, you're like, what 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 are they doing? They're just in the wild card game. Tommy Pham had a great year for them, and they deal them the next year. And now look at them. You know, they were in the World of Series the year after. So I'm not going to rip the race for this one. I do feel bad for their fans, though, because they are a very boring, analytically driven franchise. And, you know, you could even argue it's almost bad for the game of baseball with the lack of star power. But, hey, they do what they need to do to remain competitive. 
and they're not shy. They'll, like, they'll fully admit it. With the Cubs, on the other hand, if you're just going to say, you know, if it was a salary dump, then why didn't you say so? Because, like, they're, they're, they're telling the public, oh, no, it's not a salary dump. Like, we're, we're trying to, you know, we want to get there. And they, they got a horrible return. That was a, that was a bad trade. And, they, and I, Jed, Jed's a smart guy. He worked with Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer. Like, they knew what they're doing. Yeah, they had a couple of whiffs there. But, like, you don't win three division titles, a World Series, and go to the playoffs from five years out of six. Like, if you're not smart, you got, they got some smart people running there. That's why they gave them the kind of the keys of the car. That, that, that just, that's a bad start to your tenure. So, uh, anyway, well, enough, enough, uh, enough baseball for now. Let's get into the NFL. The NFL meat sandwich we got here going. Yes, yes. A lot to talk about this week. Uh, number one. The Sunday night game. And, you know, I'm going to take my lumps with this one. I've been saying for the past couple weeks that the Packers were f- 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 frauds. And uh, it's starting to look like I might be mistaken uh, in that particular take. They beat a very good Titans team who I bought a lot of stock in. And I'm now selling all my Titans stock for ti- um, Jets stock at this point. Jets are the hottest team in the NFL. More on them later, but... Yeah, this is a Titans team that I thought would come into Lambeau and they would run a rough shot all over Green Bay. I think Green Bay has a bad run defense, which I still do, and you have Derek Henry, who's one of the best backs in the NFL. You got Ryan Tannehill, who's putting together a very good Pro Bowl caliber season. He's played in the snow before in Buffalo and all the when his years with Miami, you know, he had to play Buffalo and New England, so the weather shouldn't have been a factor for him. Uh, and yeah, I thought they got to a shootout, they'd be able to they'd be able to control clock and score enough more points to keep pace with Green Bay and eventually wear them down and you know win that game, uh, push them around, kind of like the Colts did. Boy, was I wrong on that one because the Packers they showed up and they held Derrick Henry under a hundred yards. They forced a bunch of turnovers. Ryan Tannehill really looked uncomfortable. And Aaron Rodgers, you know, minus that interception, it looked like he was playing a video game back there. He looks so comfortable right now, and this game showed. Why this last weekend against the Bears, obviously it's an important game for the Bears because they need to win to get in the playoffs. But if the Packers can lock up that number one seed in the NFC, it's going to be formidable. Because I think the Saints are a better team. I think the Saints are a little bit better team. I think they got a better roster, overall well-rounded. And on a neutral site, I'd take the Saints. If the Saints are at home, I'd take the Saints. But in Lambeau, good luck. With these snow and elements, Aaron Rodgers knows how to play there. Drew Brees, you know, the arm strength isn't quite what it used to be. And the elements like that, dome quarterback, have fun. Because the Packers, you know, there's something to be said about a team that's used to, you know, they're putting on their snow cleats or whatever and playing the snow. Because they look, they look comfortable doing so. And that will be, with no fans, that will be a big home field advantage for them, playing in those elements. And if the road through the Super Bowl runs through Green Bay and that horrible weather they have up there, and uh, late December and January, good luck. That's going to be a tough out. Uh, I'm not saying the Saints can't beat them, but it does make it a lot tougher. And I am reevaluating my take on the Packers. At this current moment, yeah, they're a legit Super Bowl threat. I was wrong on that one, and I will admit it. Speaking of people that were wrong, the Washington Redskins. Dwayne Haskins has been released. That's a shame. I, I promise I'll cut out the hacky stuff. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, look. This is just on brand with the Redskins organization. I should say the Washington football team now. Because when he was coming out of college, his own coach, Urban Meyer, said when they was asked about him, 
And he was public about this, too. He's like, yeah, I don't think he's mature enough to play the position. This is a guy that just won a bunch of big games for him at Ohio State. And he, they look pretty good. And I can see why he looked attractive to scouts. He's a big, strong guy. He's got a pretty good arm. He won some big games. You know, maybe not the most athletic guy, but he's thick enough where he can bounce off some tackles. When he releases, it looks effortless. He throws a very pretty ball. So I can see why scouts liked him. But when your own coach is saying, like, yeah, needs to mature a little bit, that that's a red flag. The The last head coach for him, Jay Gruden, is like, I do not want to draft him. They were advising him not to draft him. But the owner, this is an owner thing. Oh, no, we got to draft Wayne Haskins. That bad owner, this is what happened. So now you're stuck with Haskins. His first win, he's taking a selfie with fans. Which is bad enough, but you know, whatever. But like, you would think you'd be aware as a rookie, you want to be yeah, on the field, you'd be aware of the clock and the circumstances. But all right, fine, we'll give him a pass on there. Good for him, and it's interacting with fans. Then he gets benched this year. And I mean, he had opportunities on the platter because he blew his first one with the poor play this rookie season. Then this year, they give him the start to start the year. And he plays poorly once again. So they move him there. He breaks team protocol. Ron Rivera got pissed, demoted him all the way down to the third string, which should have been message enough. Kyle Allen's not a starter. He gets hurt. Then Alex Smith is playing. He goes down. So once again... It's a playoff contending team, and Haskins has handed the keys once again. He has another opportunity. What does he do with it? He blows it again. Like, come on, man. Come on. I get he's only 22 years old, but everyone, it's not like you're unaware of the protocols. Who is not aware of COVID right now? Especially as an NFL team. They're giving you the trackers. Your coach has cancer, so he's highly susceptible. Like, what are you doing, man? They just gave you another chance to play quarterback, and you're out at a party with strippers, not even being self-aware enough to like locate that there's cameras there, and you don't have a mask on. Like, come on, you got to be smarter than that if you're an NFL quarterback. And it's a shame. I, I'd be surprised. We'll we'll see where he goes because we're thinking about teams that would pick him up. I'm like, well, yeah, I would think he'd get another chance because, like I said, there's some intangibles there, and he's still pretty young. Where I think a team might take a flyer on him. But I'm going through the list of rosters. Like, who wants to waste their time with that? I wouldn't. This is also, too, getting to the bigger point. This is another example of why I think Ron Rivera should have... He should win Coach of the Year. No other team has put up what this guy has had to put up with this season. He gets hired into the job, and it gets released that, oh, yeah, there's a toxic culture here. There's sexually harassing women, and we're going to have to change the name of the team also because it's racist. So that's your first couple days on the job, and you're answering questions about that when you weren't even a part of it. So that's that's tough enough as it is. Then your quarterback turns out to be immature, and he's not very good. No one really wanted him. He definitely didn't want him. He's stuck with him. So he has to deal with Haskins there. Then, the guy he really liked, Kyle Allen from Carolina, he goes down, so he has to put in Alex Smith, who was basically playing with one league leg. He had to come back from surgery and try and win games. He does. And then he has to deal with, once again, Haskins, and now this debacle where you have the dilemma against, you know, because your team's in position, this is a tough spot to be in. You're playing your former team, the Panthers. It's a game you really need to win for playoff implications, you know, trying to keep that, the the 
spot alive because the Cowboys are nipping at your heels. The Eagles are right there. The Giants still alive. You need to win this game. So now it's that, well, I should cut him right now, but that's not fair to the rest of my teammates and the guys that did do what they were supposed to. For me to put in a guy I don't think is as good as Haskins, so I want to give our team the best chance to win. So, you know, he's had to put up with a lot, That's and that stinks. I feel I feel bad for the man. Also, the rest of his teammates. If you looked at their teammates on the sideline, they're like, yeah, we want nothing to do with you. And that's what, that's what a lot of these guys have to realize. And the same thing happened with Johnny Manziel. And look at a lot of these images. Jamarcus Russell. It's a privilege to be in the NFL. Like, you're playing a game for a living. I don't, like, like, a lot of you heard J.J. Watt's speech uh, post-game, which was a prime example. You know, you got to show up and do your business because there's people that are spending their time and money watching you perform. So you better go out there and put in your best effort. And I heard apparently Haskins wasn't even doing that, that he would leave early a lot, to leave the facilities early, often late to meetings, You know, didn't show as much dedication as they would have liked his rookie season during the preseason when you're trying to impress. That's going to be the time you're trying to put your best foot forward, and he was just kind of going through the motions. It's a red flag right there. And you look at your, you know, you look at the guys in your team. What they have done to be in the NFL. Ron Rivera is, is going to doing chemo and coaching at the same time, just so he could be on an NFL sideline. Alex Smith, whoa, the nineteen surgeries he has to go through, almost had his leg amputated. Could have called easily called it a career. He's like, no, I'm going to bust my ass and get back on the field just to play this game. It's a privilege to play the game. And you got handed the keys to a franchise. And they're paying you very well to do so. And you're putting in the bare minimum effort. It's the same. It's really sad, honestly. It is sad. Because I don't want I don't root for anyone to fail. And I'll be honest, I mean, you know, he's 22 years old. So as far as the party thing goes, like, I'm down at college at Bradley. Like, I, I know what's going on. I think he's the regular maturity of a normal 22-year-old. Because there's stuff, I mean... There's stuff that's going on all the time. He's not the only 22-year-old kid that's going maskless to parties. But, like, you know, you got to be smart. If you're going to play quarterback in the NFL, you have to be above. You have to be mature. Like, above mature. Uniquely mature for your age. Going to the NFC East Circus, and it has been a circus. Time for a fun little segment here. I've dug up the best hits from the NFC East race because, mercifully, Washington and Philly, they have a primetime game this Sunday, which will wrap up the NFL regular season. And the sad story to conclude this NFC East circus. So let's recap the greatest hits of the NFC East. Before the season, Washington had to change their name, as we said, and the story broke about sexual harassment. So that's obviously no laughing matter there, because that was disgusting, and we talked about that whole thing. So Washington was a dumpster fire heading into the season. Giants, meanwhile, they hired Joe Judge to their staff, and most people were like, who the hell is Joe Judge? Turned out to be a pretty good head coach. I'm a big Joe Judge fan. But his staff included two memes in Jason Garrett and Freddie Kitchens, so buckle up in New York. You know that was going to be fun. Then in training camp, Joe Judge has the players running laps, and <laughs> they have penalties and stuff, and the media ate that one up. So even before the season, uh, kind of a circus in New York, like it usually is when it's not a circus in New York. Then Carson Wentz, he went from a trendy MVP candidate to backing up Jalen Hurts at the end of the year. 
That was a debacle Doug Peterson had to deal with. Nearly the entire Eagles roster sustained some type of injury, and Wentz was stuck throwing to a guy named uh, Travis Fulgram as his number one receiver, and then later he gets benched. And that's not a knock on Travis Fulgram, but uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he was on a practice squad before he came to the Eagles, so... That that was an interesting season up in Philly. Then Saquon Barkley got hurt for the Giants, so that kind of continued, uh, yeah, you know, a rough start in the New York era. And then Daniel Jones on national television sprinted 80 yards at 21 miles an hour. And everyone's like, "Wow, this kid's fast! Look at the speed!" And then proceeded to trip over the five-yard line. No defenders in sight. So that was another funny uh, instance there. <laughs> we talked about Dwayne Haskins. That was a rocky start. They signed Kyle Allen, hesitate to throw any weight behind Haskins as a long-term starter. And the first uh, three weeks of the season for Washington uh, felt more like a performance theater from Rivera. Uh, you know, yeah, it was, yeah, it was ugly. Obviously, he benches him. He gets hurt. Alex Smith, remarkable story. He comes back. Uh, you know, he gets fined. Uh, Haskins gets fined for the stripper thing, stripped of the captain's letter, and uh, you know that we 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 that was well discussed. So despite Washington, they had their three quarterbacks. Let's take a look at some of the other quarterbacks that have started a game in the NFC East this year. And this is pretty stunning. Kyle Allen, as we said, Andy Dalton, the Red Rifle, didn't think he was going to start. Ben the Nooch Danucci, Garrett Gilbert. Colt McCoy, who Colt McCoy, by the way, I don't know how many of you watched that Sunday night game he played against the Browns, but he almost sounded like a competent quarterback back there because there's no fans, so you can hear all the audio uh, audibles and everything. You know, Colt McCoy's up there. He looks like a confident signal car caller. Blue Ernie! Blue Ernie! Omaha! Sunday, Sunday! Like, hey, look at Colt McCoy barking out orders. Good for him. And obviously his play didn't match it, but you know he he looked like a confident signal call. That's a guy. If I if I didn't know any better, I'd be like, yeah, this guy's good. Listen to him calls audibles. And then Jalen Hurts, the final guy who I didn't think any of us would see start, but he's been pretty good. And now we're gonna have a new one with the season on the line. Uh, Taylor Heineke. We don't know officially yet, but he replaced Dwayne Haskins in Week 16. So we'll see if Alex Smith, if he isn't ready to go, we're gonna get Taylor Heineke to start capping off a very interesting list. Going through the rest of the division, Mike McCarthy for the Cowboys. He lied to Jerry Jones before the season about all the work he'd done. He said he'd watch every game. He's into analytics. And that was very much exposed in the early couple games that it was the same old Mike McCarthy. His coaching philosophy uh, has not changed to adapt to the modern game. Then he turned the season around by allegedly smashing a watermelon in front of his players. Uh, so, yeah, that old thing. Yeah, he smashed watermelons in front of his players. One of them had Delvin Cook's face on because he wanted him to be physical and attack the run or something. But it seemed to work because the Cowboys starting to win games. Speaking of the Cowboys, another little meme there. Mike Nolan, he rubbed Tabasco sauce in his eyes during a live interview. That was pretty funny. Recommend looking that up. Uh, yeah, this is a circus, this thing. Oh, let's keep going. There's some more we have. Ron Rivera, he could have gotten his team into the playoffs back in October. They had a game against the Giants. He goes for two, old riverboat run, couldn't convert. And you know how he rationalized that move? He said, Washington's a young team. We're just learning how to win. And then he benched Haskins the second it seemed like Washington could actually win the NFC East. So it turns out later, yeah, actually, it's not just this young development thing. We're going for it. 
That's a win I wish they would have had back. Doug Peterson, decision he wished he would have had back. He punted with seconds remaining in overtime. To force a tie against the Bengals. It ran out of the clock. He could have played aggressive for the win. He defended the decision after the game. And then later said he regretted it. So, nice. Nice. That's the circus of the NFC East. It has been a one beautiful mess. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I was going through to prepare for this, and I was like looking back because, you know, the Haskins thing was just like yet another another moment. And like a lot of these you forget about, like going through them. There's been so many. It's not just that the teams are bad and competing for a playoff spot, and one of these teams that's going to be under 500 like, is going to host a playoff game. Like, the Cowboys could host a playoff game. We thought they were dead in the water. And now you're going to be hosting a playoff game. That That is incredible. This Week 17 should be incredible, too. Right, we got a lot of playoff-caliber games. A lot of win-and-you're-in scenarios. Let's go through some of them right now in the NFC. So, for the NFC East, so this is how it's going to decide who's going to win. The Giants and the Cowboys play. So, whoever wins that game is going to have a chance to get in. Because they're both pretty close record-wise. So if the Cowboys win, they would need a Washington loss to Philly, and they're then in the playoffs. So the Giants, Giants get a win, they get the uh, the Philly wins, they're in the playoffs. Washington, all they have to do is a win, and they are in. So, that is going to be a playoff scenario set up there. Bears, Packers, another playoff game. Bears win, they're in the playoffs. The Packers win. They're going to lock up that number one seed in the NFC East. If they don't win, they can still lock it up as long as the Saints lose. But if the Saints, Seahawks, and Packers all win, the Saints will get it by virtue of the uh, tiebreaker for winning percentage. So something to keep an eye on there. Speaking of the Bears-Packers game, well, we're going to bring in Patrick Cushman, part Packers owner and season ticket holder, to help break down this matchup. Let's get right into it. Bears-Packers this weekend. Big game. It's going to be a playoff game. Uh, what, what are you looking for in this matchup? What, what are your keys to this game? Um, I really think that um, Bears offense versus the Packers defense um, is the biggest matchup. Um, we've seen that the Bears offense can put up points. We've seen that they can be competent, especially in these last four games. They put up 30 points each time. Um, I guess, but um, that being said, that was against some of the worst defenses in the league, um, like Jacksonville, Houston, um, Minnesota, um, and Detroit. So that does come with an oral asterisk. We'll see if they're able to ride that momentum. Maybe they have a little bit of confidence in them, and they're able to ride that momentum into um, playing a better defense in Green Bay, albeit not the best defense. We'll see if they're able to establish the run um, and see if they're going to be able to not turn over the ball because they had some bad turnovers in Jacksonville. That pick at the end of the first half. Yeah, Trubisky threw um, a lug nut right there. That was horrible. Now, a lot of Bears fans are hoping. Oh, sorry. Dude. Yeah. A lot of Bears fans. Um, what I was going to say is you can't make that kind of mistake against a team like Green Bay. You're able to get away with it when you play Jacksonville. 
Yeah, no, that secondary is a lot better than people give them credit for. And I, so I know a lot of Bears fans are hoping the Packers would clinch the one seed uh, and they'd be resting all their starters. Obviously, that's not the case. They're playing for something. They're playing for home field advantage. And I think this is significant for the Packers, because especially watching that Sunday night game. I thought that was a game that was tailor-made for Tennessee to win. I thought Derrick Henry would push him around and run roughshod all over him. He did not. There's something to be said about going up there in late December, January, in the snow. It's a tough place to play where I think a team like the Saints, given a neutral site or if the Saints are at home, I think the Saints have a better roster. They win that game. But Drew Brees going up to Lambeau in that weather is a tough task. What do you what do you think about the X factor of them, the home thing? Do you think there's some warrant to that where they, they get the home field advantage? That's a legit Super Bowl team. They're going to be going to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it is a huge advantage for Green Bay playing at home. Um, a couple weeks ago, I said that um, the matchup that the Packers do not want is like Tennessee. Um, a heavy running team, smart coach team, uh, more efficient. I thought that if we played Tennessee, um, like you said, Derrick Henry just run all over it. We wouldn't be able to control the clock. Like we've seen in the Packers' losses against Indianapolis and Minnesota. However, um, Brian Cannon will never look comfortable. The Packers' offense didn't miss a beat. And I, you know, yeah, make a couple mistakes. Um, Tennessee makes a couple mistakes, and the game's over just like that. Um, and so, like you said, yeah, you get a guy like Drew Brees, you get a team like Tampa Bay, a team like LA. Um, you get them coming into Lambeau at the NFC Championship game in mid January. That's a lot different of a game than if you're playing in New Orleans. Um, or you're playing, you know, in Tampa Bay. I can't bet on that chance to have one seat, but it, the, the point is the same, is that it, it is a huge advantage to play in Green Bay if you're the Packers. And so I think it's very important to not only um, you get that home field advantage, you also get the bye, able to rest up. And you're almost glad that the Packers didn't clinch last week. So then you would have rested your starters week 17. Then you would have had the bye. And then you're kind of going into that first game a little bit cold. So you have your starters in a rivalry game, um, playing for home field advantage. I think that this is a matchup for the Packers, and I do think it's very important that they win. No, that's a good point because you know that burned the Ravens a couple weeks back when the same situation arose. So Bears, obviously, David Montgomery, he's gotten a lot of flack, but he's been playing a lot better as of late. He's one of five running backs as a thousand-yard rusher. Trubisky's kind of on a roll. Do you think this defense, so I know Trubisky's been playing better, but as you mentioned, it's against some weaker teams. Do you think they can slow down Montgomery enough where they're going to have to make Trubisky, force Trubisky to win this game? What are your expectations for this Packers defense? I know the line's five and a half. Do you think the Packers win this game, or do you think they cover? I think the Packers win the game, and I think they cover the five-and-a-half-point spread as well. Um, I think that they stack the box like they did against Tennessee and let Miss throw against some team mid-turnovers. Um, I think Jair Alexander will be on Allen Robinson all night, and it's going to be a tough matchup, but Alexander is shown that he can line up against the best wide receivers and win those matchups. So... Um, I think that the Packers' defense does step up. Um, I think they create a couple turnovers, and that kind of just turns the tide of the game. Um, so I do think that they win, um, and I do think that their defense steps up. 
Aaron Rodgers playing at a high level. I think if you're on the Bears, especially, you win that coin toss. I want the ball first because Aaron Rodgers, you don't want to be falling down 7 seven nothing uh, because he, he looks so comfortable back there, uh, zipping it all over the field. Do you think he's an MVP candidate? Should he, should he win the MVP? Yes, yeah, that was Miss Ward. Favorite, uh, front runner, I should say. Yeah, he has my MVP. Um, and it's not only what he's done, but it's what he's done to the rest of this team. He has elevated everyone on that offense. Um, he's made Al Lazard look like a good number two wide receiver, and that was a big storyline. In the offseason, Packers didn't have another wide receiver. And a lot of people said, oh, they don't have another wide receiver. They're going to be screwed up but he's elevated guys like Robert Tunyon, Alan Lazard, um, Equanimous St. Brown. Um, he's made these guys look legitimate. Um, so, for me, that's why he's MVP. He's able to elevate um, everyone around him. Mahomes had a good year. He's had a tough December. He's turned the ball over a little bit more. Um, and he's got a lot more talent, I think, on the offensive side of the ball. And Rodgers just has been more efficient and has that edge, I think, against Mahomes. Now, watching that game Sunday night, all of a sudden, there's this running back that came on. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? It's A.J. Dillon. He's bursting off these big runs. Turns out he's their second-round draft pick from this year. So, I recall you coming on the show, and, you know, Marshall, got, you caught a little flack about the Packers draft, where he was saying it's not a very good draft you guys had. You wasted a bunch of picks. They didn't know what they were doing. Now you look at the Packers, they're winning games, they got their second round pick contributing. Uh, I'll give you the floor, because I think you were right on this one. You, uh, you can let us have it. Yeah, um, and I, I did just catch off some flack. It was a total crucifixion that I um, got when I went on the show, especially from Marshall. And he said that this was the worst draft by far um, out of any team. And, you know, we didn't draft, you know, you know, big playmakers um, in the early rounds. We, we did. We drafted a quarterback that I think, you know, gave Rodgers a little bit of motivation. That might be the reason why he's playing at an MVP level. We drafted a running back that we knew wasn't going to be able to do much early in the season. But when you need a downhill runner um, in the snow, in the cold, A.J. Dillon is the perfect guy. He's finally able to show it off. Um, and he's been kind of waiting in the wings. You've seen glimpses of him. We've seen glimpses of him being able to get these downhill kind of runs. And yes, and uh, last Sunday, he just exploded. And in the later rounds, too, we've seen some contribution. Um, Sunshine Pig Burning Scott from TCU um, has played some defensive snaps. He's played pretty well, for a, especially for a seventh round pick. Um, and John Runyon, who is a fifth round pick um, from Michigan, has been able to step up in that offensive line rotation when Lindley was down. Um, and now with Ricky Wagner down, um, he came into the game as well. So we have seen contributions from across the board. Um, Third-round pick, obviously on IR, can't really do much about that. Um, and the first-round pick was most first, most controversial. But across the board, we've had a really good draft, and we're starting to see it now. Really quickly on that first-round pick, just to play devil's advocate for Marshall, uh, Jordan Love... Is now, but he's the third string quarterback on the depth chart behind Tim Boyle. Where if that's the future of your franchise, are you at all concerned that they wasted a pick on a? Will you shut up, dog? On a third round, on a third round, uh, or first round pick that's now the third string quarterback on your depth chart because that's pretty low for you for how high they picked him. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair question. Um, I think that 
I mean, he's not been active any of the games. Which I have to look into that, but I think that might be uh, a record. You know, the most healthy scratches of a first-round draft pick um, in his rookie year. Um, but anyways, you know, the reality is, is Rodgers, yes, he's playing at an MVP level, but realistically, how many years left does he have? I don't think he's, I think he probably only has two or three more years left in Green Bay. Um, and you've seen in the NFL, in order to win games, you need to have a quarterback that plays at a high level. The Packers saw a guy that they saw a lot of potential with. They saw a guy that they could win with in the future. Um, and they went and got him. Um, and that's the way the league is. And that was the Packers' philosophy. Is we need best available. We need a guy for our future. Um, and so it might look silly now, you know, when you're in a playoff hunt and you say, oh, they could have drafted a wide receiver. And, and, you know, they could have. But what if they drafted someone like Jalen Rieger who hasn't really been able to play at a high level? So no one's really a guarantee, uh, even in the first round. Um, but they drafted a guy for the future um, that they thought was going to be able to make an impact for you. So I, I defend it. Um, I see where the thinking was. Hindsight's 2020. Um, or anything. So I trust them, and I think that they did make the right selection because the, the fact of the matter is, is Rogers isn't going to be here in three or four years. Um, eventually, he's going to move on, whether that retires um, or he moves on. And you do, and it has been shown in the sleep that you do need a high level quarterback in order to compete, especially in this era of the league. And um, they felt that it was worth investing. In a quarterback, and they got their guy. So I'm not gonna, you know, say that's a bad pick. On the flip side, Bears quarterback situation, Mitch Trubisky. Like we said, he's been playing a little bit better, but we've seen the uh, the long term track record of his. Do you think he's back with Chicago in 2021, or do you think they move on? What would you do? You're general manager of the Bears. What are you doing with their quarterback? If, if I'm the general manager, I'm moving on, and we, we've seen this better play. And this better play, again, is referenced based off performance against Detroit, which, by the way, he fumbled at his own nine-yard line, I'm pretty sure, to set up the game-winning touchdown. Um, and then he had one drive to make it back and couldn't put him over the top. And that was a good game. Then he played uh, Houston, one of the worst defenses. Minnesota, very young inexperienced, not very good defense. And then the Jags, who are the worst team in the NFL. And everyone said, oh, the Bears have turned around their offense. They turned around their offense against really bad teams. We saw their offense in Green Bay. We saw Mitch uh, turn the ball over three times in that game. We saw him, you know, look bullish. So, I don't give him an extension, even if you make the playoffs. We've seen what he can do. We've seen his limit. Mr. Bisky will never be an elite-level quarterback with the Chicago Bears. And that's just the reality of it. And so I do not resign him. Um, I I think you draft a quarterback depending on who's on the board at what time. I don't think you want to reach. And it's going to be tough because they're going to have a mid-level pick now. Um, but I do not sign Trubisky. No way. Well, I, in his defense, they're finally starting to play toward his strength. Maggie always wanted to run the Kansas City offense, which didn't fit Trubisky. Trubisky needs to get out of the pocket and move, which they're finally starting to do. And they're finally starting to use 
David Montgomery. I mean, everyone with all these Bears fans are trashing on him like he stinks, and all of a sudden he's one of five players that's in a thousand yard rusher. So I think that helps his cause too. This will be a very telling game for him. But I think, you know, he puts together a good game and he gets into the playoffs. If you can bring him back for cheap, then yeah, I'd, I'd bring him back for another year. Like I'm not, I'm not spending a lot of money because we have other needs elsewhere. You need to re-sign Allen Robinson and get some offensive linemen. But you know, if you can get him cheap and that's going to help you bring back some of those guys, I think yeah, I think you can win with Trubisky. He's just not going to be the guy like an Aaron Rodgers is going to carry you every Sunday, in, in my opinion, anyway. But is he going to take? But my concern is there might be a team that will kind of reach for him and take him a little more than the Bears. If that happens, then so be it. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see what his market looks like. Speaking of quarterbacks on the market, well, let's go through some storylines for the NFL really quick. Just want to hear your uh, opinions on them. Uh, obviously, the Redskins, or excuse me, the Washington football team, the name redacted, they released Dwayne Haskins. What are your thoughts on the whole situation? Do you think Haskins gets picked up by another team? Tua and the Dolphins. Now Fitzpatrick, he had, he came off the bench once again. He's been getting pretty good at that, the relief role. Nearly got his head torn off with 19 seconds left and threw a pretty good ball considering the circumstances. Led the Dolphins to a victory, which they really shouldn't have won uh, that game. And uh, Fitzpatrick brought him back. So I, I would think, you know, if I'm a player right now, Fitzpatrick's kind of the old-fashioned gunslinger. He's pushing it downfield. Tua is very, very conservative, which isn't necessarily a bad thing for a rookie quarterback. But if I'm a head coach, you know, and I'm trying to it, – it's hard to teach a guy to take more risks when it's like that. It's easier to have a guy that, like, takes a lot of risks saying, like, yo, don't make those dumb decisions. So Tua is still definitely a project. If I'm a player in that locker room, like, hey, I think Fitzpatrick's giving us a better chance to win. Not that Tua is not talented and can't develop. But, like, who would you go with? I know they're going with – the Flores said he's going with Tua again. Uh, who, if you're the head coach there, who are you starting in that Dolphins quarterback, or uh, who are you starting for the Dolphins? And do you think uh, Flores has handled the situation well? Um, if I was the coach, I'm running with the hot hand. I'm running with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, especially for the playoffs. Um, it's good to have some starting experience and stuff. You need to win now, um, and Fitzpatrick gives you the better chance to do that. Um, and it's a tough situation for Flores because he has the pressure of having to win while also having the pressure to develop a young quarterback. Um, and I think Tua has shown flashes, and obviously I'm not saying, oh, Fitzpatrick should start over Tua for the next five years. Um, but at the same time, you 
know, if you're going to be in the playoffs, um, you need the best chance. You need the quarterback that gives you the best chance to win. That's Fitzpatrick. And I think this is a good learning year for Tua as well. He's facing some adversity. He's um, still playing um, some snaps, um, able to get his feet wet. And it's tough for rookie quarterbacks this year without preseason. Uh, shorter training camp, no rookie mini camp, I don't think. So it is tough for rookie quarterbacks. I'm running with Fitzpatrick. Who you got winning the NFC East? I'm go. I'm I'm leaning Washington. I think they will pull it off despite all the nonsense. But the Cowboys are right there. The Cowboys and the Giants are right there. Who do you have? Well, um, another former XFL quarterback will be playing for Washington. Except this XFL quarterback didn't even make the opening day roster for the St. Louis Battlehawks. Taylor Heineke. Um, he didn't even make the. Um, active roster of the XFL. Now he's starting an NFL game. Talk about a roller coaster career. But um, I think the Cowboys win the division. I think Washington drops um, to the Eagles. And I think Mike McCarthy leads the Dallas Cowboys to another division title for himself um, and another undeserved division title for himself. Yeah, what a flip that would be. Mike McCarthy. Well, I, he turned the season around by apparently smashing watermelons. So, you know, whatever <laughs> whatever works out there. Uh, lastly, all right, we'll go. Since wrapping up the Bears-Packers conversation, do you, you said Packers are going to win that game. So do you think the Bears sneak into the playoffs? Because that's going to come down to then the Cardinals and Rams. Rams going to be missing their starting quarterback. But their defense has done a really good job holding Kyler Murray in check. Some of his worst passing games as a pro have come against the Rams, uh, and we saw what they did against Russell Wilson last week, so who do you got in that one? Do the Bears make the playoffs? Well, and also, um, uh, Kyler Murray is also questionable for Sunday. I didn't see, I saw yesterday that he, he was still up in the air. I didn't see if they maybe updated it today. I haven't checked, but um, he also has a chance of not playing. I think eventually he will because there is kind of life and death for him, uh, but I think the Rams win. I think the Rams just outcoach him, and I've seen um, their quarterback, uh, John Wolford, I think his name is. Um, he plays the years hot shots in the AAF, um, so I'm rolling with the AAF guy. Um, I think that, but to add all seriousness, I think LA wins. I think they're just the better team. Um, they have the better roster. They have the better coach, so I think they end up winning, which does give the Bears um, – that does get them in the playoffs at the Rams win, I think. Um, so it could be, um, cause I, and I think that game is at noon. Yes. Oh no, they're both at. Both of those are at three. Both of those are at three, I believe. Unless they move the Rams one, but I think they're both at three. Yeah. So, um, I, but I do think that LA wins. But I do think that it's an interesting um, question to bring up: Is golf long-term viability in LA? Um, he's kind of under, underperformed this year. He's not kind of taking that next step to another level that we expected to see from him. Yeah, no, that that's a good point. He was very frustrating the last game. I know part of that's because he broke broke his hand, but it's almost I I think <laughs> I honestly it's going to sound crazy. I think a Mitchell Trubisky would fit. Uh, McVay's offense better than Jared Goff, and Jared Goff would fit Matt Nagy's offense better with the styles they try to run. I don't think Goff's a bad quarterback, but this is him, though. You need 
a solid offensive line and he needs to be comfortable, which the reality of the NFL is most games you're not going to be comfortable back there. So then you get some mediocre performances. So a lot of that is like golf's not carrying you by himself to a Super Bowl. But I think, you know, as he showed, like you give him weapons and pieces, I, I think he could be a uh, solid NFL quarterback. So that you're right. That is interesting to see what they do. I think given that they have some decent pieces around, I think they stick with them. But uh, well, we will we will see how that goes uh any other story that i think i think we covered it for the nfl um, um, yeah i mean all the other um afc side um i think if pittsburgh was starting ben roethlisberger i think the Browns would be in trouble the pittsburgh would be done but with mason rudolph you never know mason rudolph might want some redemption yeah um against cleveland yeah. especially cleveland um Mm-hmm. So it would be fun because everyone was saying, oh, the Browns are so good that they're, they're a playoff team this year. And then for them to lose to the Jets and then lose to a backup quarterback, that would be a hilarious storyline that could only be the Browns, right? Oh, yeah. That, be the Browns. that would be a funny way to end the 2020 <laughs> regular season. A lot of story. I mean, it's basically an extra wild card weekend. So I am looking forward to it. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. Um, well, there you have it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Patrick. On to some of these other big games. I, we're going back to last week, too. The one team that's kind of concerning me, I, I shouldn't say concern is the wrong word, but the one team that does look like they're kind of sleepwalking through things is the Kansas City Chiefs. Another stinker they put up against the Atlanta Falcons, and it's going to be weird to say it's the most unimpressive 10-game winning streak I think I've ever seen. Mind you, there haven't been too many 10-game winning streaks in the NFL, but, you know, the Chiefs' red zone defense is a bit of a concern. However, I am not selling my stock on the Chiefs just yet. I still put them ahead of the Bills because Patrick Mahomes is inevitable. I mean, yes, the Bills look great. Josh Allen, another fantastic performance against New England. Defense is playing a lot better. Stephon Diggs, honestly, I think Stephon Diggs could be an MVP candidate. Ever since he's coming in there, he's turned Josh Allen around. He's been a phenomenal pickup for the Bills. But when you have Patrick Mahomes on your sideline, it seems like it's almost like the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, you know who's going to win. There's going to be some mischief and some nonsense going on during the game. But in the end, you almost, oh, you know who's going to win the game. Kansas City Chiefs are going to win with Patrick Mahomes. So I, that's why, I, you know, the fact that they've been playing so poorly and still pulling off wins, it might be even, too, that they're kind of bored at this point. Because there was like a fourth and one, and Andy Reid whips out a trick play where it's a pass to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Sammy Watkins is throwing, throwing passes, so... You know, I it could be he's kind of bored at this point. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, don't don't. I'm still very confident in the Chiefs. The road to the Super Bowl, it's going through Kansas City. So one of them's gonna have to knock them off. The, the best team that has the, the team with the best chance to do so is is the Bills, though. I, other than the Bills, I don't see any other team in the AFC. And there's some good teams in the AFC. But I think what the Titans showed this weekend is. 
the Bills are the only team with a legit shot of knocking off the Chiefs. Yeah, it's the Bills or it's Chiefs are Chiefs are top tier. Bills are like 1A. They're they're just what they're they're right below them, and then it's like 50 feet of crap, and then everyone else. And there's like I said, there's some good like the Dolphins are a good team, but you got that quarterback situation going on with Tua and Fitzpatrick. You know, it's I they're still rolling with Tua. I think they've handled it. Brian Flores has handled that really well. Fitzpatrick has a good role there. But if I'm a Dolphins player, I'd be like, hey, you know what? I kind of trust Fitzpatrick more at this point of the season. More of an old-school gunslinger. But they showed that they're, they're, they they hang their head on defense. They're not winning any shootouts, I, I don't think, against the Chiefs. And they hung with them the one game, but I just don't think, offensively, I don't think they have enough. They have a bunch of injuries they're dealing with. Grant went down now. Parker's still out. We'll see if he comes back. They're on their third running back. So, offensively, that that's what's concerning me about Miami. I do like them, but that, that concerns me. The Colts, they just blew a game against the Steelers. I've already said, we know the Steelers are frauds. They're not a good team. They can't run the football. That's not a winning formula in the playoffs. The Colts just lost to them in a game that they were outclassing them in. It was a game they should have won. Like, if you look at that first half, like, oh, Colts completely outclassing the Steelers. And they're pushing them around. The fact that you blew that game, that's a problem. That, that, that shows me the Colts aren't, you know, they're, they're not making any serious noise. The Titans, their defense is horrendous. They're not. They'll, they'll win a playoff game, I think. I think they, they can win a playoff game or two. Defense isn't good enough to get it done. So they're just kind of in that good team, but not not anywhere close to the level the Bills and the uh, the Chiefs are playing at. NFC, you know, this is interesting. It is interesting because I think the Seahawks are a legit contender. The Seahawks are a legit contender. I think the Packers, obviously, as we said earlier, they're a legit contender. The Saints are a legit contender. And uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm buying back my I I said at the beginning of the year I really like Tampa Bay. I'm buying back my Tampa stock. Tom Brady's playing really well. You gotta give Tom Brady credit. He's clearly not washed. He's playing at a high level. He's got a ton of weapons. That defense is very good. And that's a guy, if he goes into Green Bay, he's used to playing in those New England winters in a playoff game. He can go toe-to-toe with Rodgers, and I hope it happens. That would be a great NFC Championship. You have Bucks, Packers, the rematch from earlier where the Bucks smacked them around. This is a, Tampa, this is a, good, Tampa, this is a good Tampa team. They, they have all the pieces there. A good run game. They have a solid offensive line. Tom Brady's playing at a high level. Top-class receivers. Good pass rush. They got everything there. The coaching is the one thing that's holding them back because they, they should be, the record-wise, they should be better than what they are. But that's a team to keep my eye on. Rams I like, too. Jerry Groff breaking his thumb. I ran out of patience with them. They were my free money pick this week uh, against the Seahawks. And it was a game they should have won. The defense played well enough. Jerry Goff, though, you know, he showed his toughness. Like, that's hard to throw after you dislocate a thumb, but he had that inexcusable interception. They couldn't score when it was at the one-yard line. So that's a team that's the, which might not even make the playoffs because if they lose and the, the Cardinals, if the Cardinals win and the Bears win, Rams are out. So interesting playoff scenario there. That just about wraps it up for the NFL, and you know, I want to end with this: the Browns lost to the Jets last week. 
And I'm not going to blame Baker on this one because he had two of his offensive linemen. Who is the best offense ranked offensive line in pro football, according to Pro Football Focus? Listing a couple offensive linemen. And every one of his receivers is out. Every one of them. He's working with a practice squad that didn't have a chance to practice with them. The timing's all off. And their game plan, instead of running with Kareem Hunt, they made Baker throw over 30 times. So that's not a winning formula. That's tough. That is tough to overcome as a quarterback. You can't fault Baker for that. Which is why I think the Jets still have a good quarterback in Sam Darnold. I said it last week, the Trevor Lawrence winning the game and not getting Trevor Lawrence, not the end of the world. Because that, what Baker had to put up with, has been Sam Darnold's reality in New York for the course of his career there. Horrible offensive line, constantly getting pounded. Not a whole lot of receiver depth. Receiver goes down, they're screwed. His best player that was there won it out. Then they had Le'Veon Bell. He has to, He eventually gets dealt too. He lose Jamal Adams. Most of the, the pieces that the Jets have acquired have been on the defensive side of the football. They have not been helping Sam Darnold at all. And that's very limited piece. And like I said, they started selling off a bunch of them. The guy has talent. Sam Darnold has talent. He is just, he's not working with anything. Like, it's like asking you to make an omelet with no eggs. It can't be done. Like, he is not set up for success there. He is still young. Give him some pieces. I think he could be something special. Yeah, good for this Jets team, too. Playing hard. Both weeks. For their jobs. With some pride. Because I watched the Jaguars this week against the Bears. And that second half, they gave up. It was pathetic. You know, I have a little pride in your work. And that's why, I, again, good for the Jets, man. Good for the Jets. Sam Darnold played pretty well, too. 175 yards. Didn't turn the ball over. Two touchdown passes. They had that nice little trick play. So, you know. And then, mind you, he's awesome. Also, Baker's been supporting. You know, the one year he had Freddie Kitchens, who was a boob. But this year has been his best year. He's Kevin Stefanski, good head coach. What, what has Sam Darnold been working with? Adam Gase? Jets fans, please give Sammy some weapon and give him a chance. He's a good quarterback, and I stand by that. I am a Sam Darnold guy. I like him. I like I, 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 I'm a Sam Darnold fan. That is all we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Those of you listening to us on the Unhinged Network, we appreciate it. Make sure you check out some of the other great shows they have to offer. Thanks for Patrick Cushman for coming on. Free money will be dropping later this week. And uh, as always, yeah, enjoy the rest of your week.